Welcome to Journey to Motherhood, the podcast that has conversations with women who yearn for parenthood and are contemplating or are going through or have gone through so-called unconventional or unspoken of experiences to get there. My desire is that this becomes one of those helpful resources and that the stories of the people who participate will help anyone listening to realize that they are not alone. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited about my guest today. Fiona is someone I met through one of my daughter's playdates at preschool. Our daughters were at preschool together. She has an amazing story, um, and I can't wait for her to share it with you. And so welcome, Fiona. Thank you. I would like to start by asking you, when did you decide to become a mother? I decided quite late, um, but I think it wasn't a plan. And I think that's probably very much a reflection of me. Mm. So as I was preparing for our chat today, I was kind of thinking back on that. And it's it's that thread that runs through my life. So I live very much in the moment. And I think when people say they live in the moment, they're talking about very grounded, um, maybe carefree people. I'm not hinting at that at all. Mm. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> seem to have the capacity to plan. And that has just been, um, as I say, that common thread. I've been in South Africa now for uh, 14 years, going on 14 years. And I've often remembered people saying to me, how long are you here for? And I never had a plan. Mm. How long do you plan to stay? I never knew. So getting back to your question, I think that was pretty much um, I stumbled upon it and not in a haphazard way. And I'm not taking away from the fact that motherhood needs thought um, it needs preparation. But it was very just very much just me. So I never grew up planning to get married. I never grew up planning to be a something towards the end of school, high school. So we all thought about what we would like to be, but it was never something that I've never been kind of in a in a tunnel or mm. in a corridor in my life. And there, there are many downsides to that as well. But I remember the one thing that did colour it and did inform it and did bring it very much into my mind was time. It was that biological clock. So I'm 52 now and I would have been in my 40s, mid 40s, when suddenly it was as if I never knew. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe if I want to have a child, this is not going to last forever. And um, I would have been 44 going on 45 and I wasn't in a relationship with somebody that uh, was long enough for me to think about having children together. There was one big love of my life who has never been replaced. And if there was anybody I would have liked to have had children with, it would have been Marcus. That's not to say that I didn't think I couldn't have them on my mm. own. So that moment came where I thought about that. And then I thought, OK, I would actually like to adopt when I think of all of the children out there that need need a home, need a family, need need an upbringing that's more grounded than an orphanage. Let me think about that. And my hairdresser at the time was a Johannesburg hairdresser. She was a, a very religious woman. She went to one of these ecclesiastical churches and she told me one day, a very much coincidental as I these were in my thoughts, she was telling me about a woman in her church, an American woman who was running these orphanages in Johannesburg. So she had, I think, about two or three orphanages at the time. And one was for children who were from birth to two years. And then the next two were for mixed from children from two to 12. And then they mixed the teens after that. So three different houses. And we thought about it. And I didn't realize how much that had lodged in my mind until I went home to Ireland on holidays. And I think it was around April. And my brother's daughter was two at the time, Lily. 
And at that time, because it wasn't, you know, summer peak or anything like that, I spent most of my time with my mum living in her house. And Liliana came to visit every day and we just bonded, um, Mm. totally and utterly bonded. And she would wake up in the morning and she called me Noni and ask her dad, my brother, you know, she wanted to come to Noni's to the point where I had to pick her up from creche every day. I practically woke up the same kind of thing, just dying to see Lily. And I had the most amazing two weeks with her and really got to know her. And it was just such a really lovely little relationship that was happening. And then when I left and came back to South Africa, the penny was dropping, just how lovely that was, how special it was. And then I decided in, um, as I said, that was April, went into May. And then the next time I went back for hair cut or hair colour, whatever it was, I said, Trino, I think I'd like to go and meet this woman. So it was towards the end of May and I met this woman and her husband, the American lady who ran the orphanage. And I met her at her house one morning. So she was, again, a very religious woman, which I'm not. And she sat in front of me and was just totally aghast that I could think about even adopting a child and not giving it a, a religious grounding um, or wrapping or whatever in life. And I thought, OK, I bite my tongue and I'll get over this one because that's very much her belief. It's not mine, but let's mm. see where this one goes. And then she was raised a few eyebrows about me being a single woman. And on top of all of that, the greatest offence of all, the greatest insult, I was middle-aged. So I thought, OK, you know, wow. there was quite a few knocks and her husband came into the room. She did the talking. He he kind of sat beside her. So I said, OK, at the end of it, how do we take this forward? I said, oh, I'd love you to go and meet the children. I thought, I, I, I've but just had a few knockdowns here. You want me to take it forward, but let's let's see what happens. You've been judging me. <laughs> and you've been judging me in the context of a suitable mother. Oh, exactly. And you're giving me a very negative response. And now you're telling me, let's go, you know, let's meet these children. So I remember it was on June the 5th and it was a Wednesday and it was 2013. And I set up time to go to the orphanage. And being winter, it must have been one of these. I remember the sun that day, but it was bitterly cold. So in this house, and it was a house in Windsor East, it was one of these little duplex houses. They had eight children. So normally they had a capacity for six, but at the time there were two extra, obviously due to demand or need or whatever it was. And the children were very much, the babies were very much, um, everything was routine based. So they slept for four hours. They were woken out of their sleep. They were fed, they were changed, they were put back down again. And that went through the 24 hour clock. So this afternoon when I went and I went, I said I would go at two and we agreed that time because it would be a good time when the children would have all been awake and I could see them all in in their glory. And the carers, and there were probably about three carers, which was sufficient for the eight, if you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 I think in a lot of orphanages, you mightn't even have that luxury that mm-hmm. was practically two to one. And there was just a complete chaos in this living room. So they'd taken all the children into the living room area and then bit, you know, one by one they would feed and then change to the, take them to the changing area and back. And there were some of them howling, some of them screaming, some of them crying, some of them laughing, um, all wrapped up because it was cold. And I remember there was a big, big window and it had these big burglar bars on it, but it had no curtains and the sun was coming through. And there was this one little baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, just really tightly wrapped and a little beanie on her head. And she had her head cocked to the sun. And in this chaos and in this just total disarray and this noise, 
She had a little head cocked to the sun and she was fast asleep. Oh, wow. And to this day, I always believe that Moya wanted to be seen. She wanted mm. me to see her. So that was Moya, um, who's now my daughter. And she at the time was um, two months old. So I went back again a few days later. I was very overwhelmed. It was a lovely, it was a lovely experience and the carers were nothing but lovely. And we could, I could, you know, hold the children or help or uh, whatever it was. You kind of feel, I felt certainly very awkward. You know, these are a bunch of strangers. Mm. How do you get in here? What do you do? But Mm. they said, come back after a few days, which I did. And I was very much, things were very, moving very quickly in my mind. Then I was very clear that I wanted to go ahead with this and to adopt. But then I always remember thinking, but I don't know how to do this. You know, I, I know how to buy myself a nice handbag. Yes. And I'd be very capable of going in and getting lovely shoes and a car. All of those things. How do you choose a child? You know, that was to me was just, wow. it was extraordinary. And even though it wasn't in a transactional sense, these were children that were evidently on display. They were available for adoption. Did you feel like they were displaying them for you when you were at the house? No, they they didn't because they were actually very good. These women, they were amazing. But they knew, I knew the reason you're going in. It's, mm. you know, it's a little bit like going into the car showroom, maybe. Um, they're there. They're, it's a strange thing. It wasn't vulgar at all. And they just cared for the children, you know, as, as if we weren't there. And if you came, you came to help. So after a couple of visits and those visits took place over June, I said to the head helper. So, you know, what do I do from here? And each day I'd gone there, I used to look after Moya. And her name was, uh, the name that her birth mother had given her was Kimura Tile, which meant I did love her, which I found to be so sad that, you know, a name that was given to somebody to show that I, I, I did love you. I did love you. But it was in the past, not because she stopped, but because she had given her up for adoption. So Kimura Tila, I can hardly say that name, actually Moya. So I renamed her Moya and I'll tell you why in a moment. But I'd said to her, then how do I go about this? And she said, well, you know, come back, come back more often, uh, spend time with her and then we'll start going through the process, which I did. And, you know, the character that is Moya Ford mm. at the time, she was um, obviously a small little thing. She was just a couple of months old, but she could scream. Mm. And I, again, I think this is, you know, Moya wanting to be heard. Um, Moy is a little fighter. She's very Always, feisty. Yeah. Very feisty. Totally mm. feisty. And I credit her for that when I think of her background. Mm. Um, I, I applaud it. I just think it's such a lovely thing in her. Mm. Channeling it is a challenge always, <laughs> but <laughs> I would never take it from her. And then I decided, OK, let me do this. And I decided to take Moy into my foster care while the adoption was going through because it was then, and as I go back to the earlier point that I made, that I don't plan. I didn't plan the adoption properly either. Mm. So it worked out for the very, very best. But with an adoption, one would apply, go through the system, be screened, uh, go on a waiting list, and then you're assigned a child. And that could take, you know, up to two years. Whereas suddenly I had found this little girl that I decided I wanted to adopt. Mm. But the way I had to do it then was to take her into my foster care. And once she was in my foster care to adopt her, in hindsight, it was the best thing possible because I was able to choose her. Mm. And while the adoption was going through, we were building up this lovely bond together as opposed to kind of starting that process that I've just described and then maybe getting a call someday to say, OK, your baby is now available for you to collect in Bloemfontein. Because normally you don't choose, right? You don't choose. Mm. So I had that that luxury 
And as I say, I also believe that Moya wanted it. Um, when I think of that day, and I always see that little head with that little beanie and she's wrapped up facing into the sun, how anybody could have slept in that noise. <laughs> she, she really wanted me and I wanted her. And then the other thing that really astounded me with Moya, when I got to know, and as I say, she was Camorra Tile, but asking about her details, she was born on St. Patrick's Day, which is the Irish National Day. So she tells from a very early age, you know, I told her to say she was half Irish, half South African, but she's very much that honorary Irish woman, um, you know, born. That, that's her birthday, St. Yeah. Patrick's Day, 17th of March. So I went through the foster process, which was very straightforward. And Moya what does came, that entail? That entailed, so strangely, what happened in Moya's case, um, I want to think about how much I want to say here because this is Moya's story, but Moya's biological mother was, um, she was HIV positive. And she, Moya has a sibling, a, a sister who's two years older than her. I don't know um, that they share the same father. Mm. And she, her family were from Soweto. And what I'm relaying to you is what was relayed to me. I have, have not met Moya's biological mother, but when she became pregnant, her parents told her apparently that she could not bring home another bastard child in their view. Their words, they were already rearing her sibling. So to her credit, she went to Krugersdorp to give birth to Moya. So she thankfully gave birth to her in a safe environment in a hospital. Mm-hmm. But she traveled away from Soweto to a place where nobody would know her. And Moya spent her first and that afternoon she gave birth. Moya was born shortly after 2 p.m. And the mum signed her over for adoption on that same day and walked out of the hospital. Oh, wow. Moya spent five weeks in Krugersdorp waiting for an orphanage. And then she was taken to the orphanage where I met her in Windsor. And there's a short story that I want to get into here and I'll come back to what we were talking about. One of the volunteers that I met at Moya's orphanage turned out to be Irish and we became friends. And it turned out that Julie was in the orphanage the night that Moya came. And Moya was brought by a car herself and one other little baby at five weeks old. And I have those photos of when she arrived in that orphanage and she's got this tiny wizened little face Mm. And she's looking up into the camera and I think there's a part of her thinking, but where now? Moya Moy is quite a, a special little girl mm. and she's quite in tune emotionally. Very intuitive. Mm, mm. Very, very much so. Um, so as I say, that was in parenthesis. But because Moya was born in Krugersdorp, she was registered in Krugersdorp. I was fostering her from Johannesburg. That became a bit of a hurdle. So we had to, the foster process was fairly okay. The adoption became very problematic. But what we did was I had to apply through the social services. They came to vet my home. I had to give them background. The orphanage had to say they approved of me, uh, gave a background that I had been visiting her. So I used to go for one of Moya's feeds every single day. And I used to start off initially by going in the evening for her evening feed. And then at the end of June, she developed eczema and I had a bit of a battle on my hands, but they managed, they allowed me to take her to my GP. So it turned out just to be eczema, um, which she still has a little bit today, but they suggested she needed fresh air and they weren't getting any fresh air at all. Um, So in this little complex that she lived in, there was no garden and they didn't see the light of day. So when they would go to the clinic for their jabs, they did, but that was it. So then what I started to do was to take her for, to go at six o'clock in the morning and take her for her morning to, uh, feed her in the morning and then they allowed me to take her out for walks so we used to go to Delta Park mm. and that helped Moya with her skin and all of that 
they were able to kind of provide background to all of that, that I was a suitable parent in their view to foster Moya. You started mothering her before you could even be her mother. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Very much so. So then finally the paperwork came through and it came through on the 15th of August and that's when Moya came home. So I had to fetch her at the orphanage that day and in the meantime I'd built up a beautiful room for her in the house and she had a beautiful basket that I bought at um, that place in Cramerville that sells the African <laughs> art, Amatuli. Yeah. Bought her a beautiful basket there, loads of toys, clothes, you name it. And she came home that day and it was a Friday and Moya cried until Sunday. And I firmly believe that, again, Moya knew that something else has gone on here mm. and was probably just wanting to know where or what her footing Please. was or what was going on or why there was another change. change in the environment. And Sunday came and she woke up and smiled and has never stopped since. Um, so she's been absolutely super. And then what I described earlier, this very regimented style of parenting or not parenting, but being, I guess, in the orphanage was to my benefit. So even though she was woken up at two in the morning for a feed and then at six and all the other four hour slots after that, from the first night at home, I put her down. She didn't wake up until morning, which was brilliant. So oh, it was nice. very easy with yeah. Moya. Um, and she just became this happy, smiling little being that, you know, today. So that was the foster process. She came home and then from there we went into the adoption process so I had at that stage, I was a permanent resident, so I was allowed to adopt Moya um, under South African law. You have to be a permanent resident. You have to be a permanent resident. So yeah. up until then, I was on a work permit and it was, I was on my third work permit, I think. Mm-hmm. But in the same August that Moya came home, I had my, or maybe not even still, it was actually around that time I had the permanent residency or maybe it came a year, it came a year later, I tell a lie. Mm-hmm. But for me to start the adoption process, I had to get her file transferred from Krugersdorp to Johannesburg because it was now a separate jurisdiction of social workers. And that unfortunately took 13 months for them to physically transfer the file. Why Why so long? I wish I could answer. I have absolutely no idea. Just pure negligence, ineptitude, um, backlogs. It wasn't about me at that stage. It was just not getting that file through, you know, that very simple thing. But they let you foster her and, and, and the fostering process, she's your child, right? Or do you have to go for regular check You have to check-ins? go for regular checkups. And believe it or not, I was allowed to take Moya to Ireland in that time. And I'll explain that to you. But mm. um, what South African law is is about, and it's, it's, it's underwritten by protection for the child. So Moya was very much protected because the law talks about her best interest. So even though we were in a precarious position, it would have been very difficult for anybody to take her from me because the argument would have been made that she was bonding with me. She was in a very safe environment, mm. in a very loving environment, and it we wouldn't have been in her interest to take her away. Mm. But there was always that fear that her biological parents could have come knocking at a door. Um, would they still have had the right to do that? That's why I'm saying that even though the mother had signed her over for adoption, the father, and I meant to explain that, was actually missing in action. So for me to adopt a child or for one to adopt a child, you have to advertise in a local newspaper for to allow the parents the right or the opportunity to come forward and lay claim. And that has to go into a national newspaper. So it went into the star, that ad. And what the mum, Moya's biological mum, had told the social workers was that she gave a name of a father and said that he was in prison. And when they went to track him down in prison, he couldn't be found. 
So he either couldn't be found in the system or this was a story that she gave to save face and maybe she didn't know who the father was. But that's the one issue in Moya's story where we there are question marks and um, otherwise I have the idea of her biological mother. I know where the family lives, etc. in Soweto. But in that time, it was not, even though I knew in theory that the law protected Moya and therefore protected us as a family that was in the making, it wasn't a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you never wanted to have that kind of uncertainty. And then very early on, Moya became very ill. So she came home, as I say, in August. And at the end of September, Moya, one Sunday afternoon, developed bad diarrhea, a chronic, absolutely chronic diarrhea to the point Then at one stage I had to put her into a car and take her to Santon Mediclinic. And it was the worst, 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 tell a lie, Morningside Mediclinic, the worst experience I've ever gone through. She was gushing diarrhea and they had no diapers. They wanted me to go home and get them. I didn't want to leave her. Um, they tried to drip her and they couldn't. And to this day, Moya, it's it's incredibly difficult to get a drip into Moya. She's got very small veins. It was just a horrendous, horrendous experience. And finally, they couldn't raise a drip in her arm. They couldn't raise it in her neck. They finally raised it in her head that night. And the child had gone through so much. And she was like five months old, six months old at that stage. And when they had the drip in her head, they said, OK, go get home, go get nappies, go get clothes, which I did. I didn't know which end of me was up. And I phoned family and, you know, she was welting like she was really, really ill. And she when I got back to the hospital, the drip had fallen out. They could no longer drip her. So she started to become very ill by Monday. You can imagine this tiny little tot. Mm-hmm. Moya's start in life was tricky because her mother was HIV positive. She had she was on antiretrovirals for six weeks, which is an assault on any system, mm. particularly on a tiny little mite. So she, you know, to this day, it has um, knock on effects on her teeth, etc., that kind of mm. thing. But she she had physical challenges. Uh, thankfully, Moya was negative and that helped, you know, boost mm. her, her, her negative uh, status. But she she was she was a tiny little thing and like all babies at that age um but she didn't have much meat on her she's you know to this day she's yeah. still quite lean and she started to become seriously ill uh, monday night went into tuesday to the point where two of my sisters got on a flight from dublin and came down um oh. because she looked like she wasn't going to make it and then ironically so they left ireland on wednesday night arrived here thursday morning by the time she came there she just made this come back. It was actually medical negligence that they hadn't tried hard enough to raise the drip, go for the alternatives and in the meantime realise that they were about to lose her. And one of the doctors had said he put a put it down to malnutrition. Mm. She'd been in my care at that stage for about six weeks. Um, Moya, because of her eczema, had her on a special formula. She couldn't mm. have been better looked after. But it was just one of those awful, awful, awful situations and as I say, two people have flown overnight from Dublin, yeah, fearing the worst and come into the hospital and this little one is beaming up on them. She just made this miraculous comeback because they stood by their version of events that she had. And there's a term for it and it escapes me now, the malnutrition. They then assigned her. I'd phoned a woman I met, a young medical doctor. And I said to her, what, where is the best place to be treated for this? And she said, Baraguana. So we spent the next six weeks in Baraguana, up and down from Parkhurst once a week to get her treated. And in Baraguana, they were saying, but it's actually not this because they were so used to dealing 
with this particular yeah. nutrition. And they're saying this is not. And eventually when I went back to the doctors to challenge them at Morningside, oh no, then one of the doctors at Baragwan, an excellent doctor, had recommended a, a really good paediatrician here in Santon, attached to Santon Medi Clinic, but with his um, offices just down the road, Dr. Jones. And he said, just go and see him. Went to Dr. Jones. Um, and he said, there's absolutely zero malnutrition, never was. The child is asthmatic and she's got eczema and there was negligence that day. And when we went back to challenge the doctors, the doctor said, well, we never said it was malnutrition. It was one of those awful situations. <laughs> oh, but for me, it was just one of the worst situations as a single parent and no family around. Yeah. Um, and I guess at that point, you realise how we had bonded. You know, it was a short time. So even she was home six weeks, but I had met her, as I mentioned earlier, on June mm. 5th. So there was the, all those months where she's crawling under my skin mm. and she's firmly there and really realize it when that happened. Did you feel at any point like anyone was looking at you and saying, but you're not really the mother, are you? So oh, a lot, you, yeah. a lot. And that came and there was once a week, she was home like weeks once when we went to Pretoria mm. and we went to, I remember in a spa and I really enjoyed that side of motherhood where you know, would wear these screaming bright colors and she's just <laughs> a beautiful little baby. Um, she always looked so gorgeous. And I remember this one day walking into the spa and she's in her push chair and this woman comes along and she said, is that yours? And I pushed the, that yeah, the push chair, um, pretending I didn't hear her, said, is that yours? I said, I'm actually choosing to ignore you. And she said, but did that actually come out of you? I said, and I'm still ignoring you. And she pushed and I got angry. And then there was another incident at a pick and pay in Bryanston. And this woman, when we were walking in, and again, Moya looked beautiful. It was a Sunday morning and she's sitting in her in the little trolley. And we were at the flower section and this woman came along with her daughter. So a middle aged woman or an older woman with a daughter who's probably in her 30s. And she said, where did you buy that? What? And I turned my head the other way and I remember looking at the the assistant and the assistant just did this, raising her hand above her head. She said, I can't. I can't, as if you know, yeah. her head was exploding with this. And finally, there were incidents like that and there we always turned heads. Now I don't mm. see it anymore. But we used to go, when we lived in Parkhurst, where mm. you lived, we used to go to the park every day and Moya loved getting down to the mm. park and seeing the dogs, even though she couldn't walk at this stage, but she loved this and she would get giddy in mm. her pushchair just seeing the open space and the children and everything. And I got to know this woman who was probably my age, but her daughter, Tove, was much older. She was probably 10, I think, at the time. Mm. And as we chatted, I said to her, I just did you know, one thing that I struggle with. You know, how do you deal with this? And she said, oh, God, she said, I, I learned that early on. Mm. She said, I decided that every, every response would be intended for Tove, not for them. Mm. So it was very important that when somebody would cast an aspersion or come out with some very you know, highly ignorant comment, as they always did, that, you know, in the beginning stuff, is that yours? Wholeheartedly, she's she mine. Is mine. Absolutely, Completely. she is mine. And she said she made that very conscious effort to make sure that Tove was listening. She doesn't hear me be angry or negative. She hears me being reaffirming mm. and proud and saying, absolutely, mm. she's mine. And it was such the best advice. And from that day forward, maybe even I get a, gave a different vibe. I didn't get as, as much, but every time I did, I always remember that woman's very wise words. And I would put that smile on my face for me and Moya mm. and give that response that was all for Moya. Yeah. So that was there. It still is, sadly. And it came in lots of different ways over the last seven years. And I suspect it will for some time to come. 
it's we're in a different space now that Moya knows she's adopted and she verbalizes it. So she kind of tackles it straight on sometimes. And I really love to see that. Well, that's nice. Mm. So you've, you've actually given her the courage to, uh, to do that, you know, to own the fact that, you know what, I'm adopted. Mm. My mother and I are not the same. My mother is white, mm. Irish. I am black, mm. but we love each other mm. and we are one. Mm. And I see that in her. I mean, Oh, she, you know, she's totally yeah. cool. And it came one day, she, we were coming home from Little Star. She was having a play date and it was actually Emma, Nikki's daughter. Mm. And Emma was in the back. I was driving and uh, Emma said, Moya, why are you brown and your mum's white? And Moya piped up and she had to have been, if she was at Little Star, she was still three, going on four. And she said, because that's the way we like it. Hey, mum. Mm. I said, yeah, that's right. I like that. That's <laughs> the way we like it. Straight out. That's the way we like it. Um, but going back to the, the foster process, I remember that Christmas taking her to Ireland. So she bounced back very quickly from that awful illness bout that we had. Um, and then in December applied to take her to Ireland. So what I had to do was to provide the address where we were staying at in Ireland, which was mum's. And obviously the family really wanted to meet her. Travel dates, the day we would be back in the country, uh, the tickets, etc., um, I think I got a supporting letter from my ambassador, filed it. We were granted the permission to go. And when we came back, I had to, you know, pick up the phone and say we're back. And we sailed through everything, you know, customs, you name it. Um, no problem because we had all the supporting documents. So that was good in the foster care. Then the problems began to to set in. So from once the file was eventually transferred from Krugersdorp to Johannesburg, and then I was allowed to apply and then it was placed in the hands of civil servants. And then somebody decided this this is not right. So the woman's single and she's a foreigner mm. and she's middle aged. No, she doesn't fit in the usual category. Let's find a category for her and put her in there. But of course, it didn't exist because I was fully entitled to be in the normal category. So as a permanent resident, as I mentioned, I mm. was allowed to adopt Moya. The law doesn't mention anything about you being middle-aged. I think it might if you were into your 70s or something, but at 45, 46 as I was then maybe, I was absolutely fine. And the fact that I was unmarried was not part of the, did not deny me the fact the to right. adopt, you know, to adopt Moya. So they were just, then they decided, they being civil servants, that they wanted to do an intercountry adoption instead which was the worst possible news for me because South Africa only has inter-country adoption agreements with, I think, three or four countries in the world because the South African thinking is that the child is much better in their own cultural environment, even if they're in an orphanage, rather than have them in another country. Really? So there's Yeah, sadly, it is really sad. So there's an inter-country adoption with the Netherlands and I can't remember which other countries. There might be one with the United States, but it's you can count on one hand. I think it's four mm. countries. Ireland's not one of them. So when they said they would only do an intercountry adoption, I nearly collapsed. And I remember at this point, it was a really stressful period because at this stage, we were like well into a year together, if not more. Then I became nervous. You know, yeah. this had to had to settle down sometime. It was difficult to get my health care. You know, if I wanted to travel, if mum became ill and take her in the morning, I couldn't without going through the process of applying, all of that kind of stuff. As emotionally, she's your daughter. She is. And you don't want something hanging over your head where mm. somebody can knock on the door someday. You know, she'll always remain yours. But to give you one hell of a challenge and a fight, mm. I just didn't need it in my life. So then I went to my ambassador. My ambassador wrote letters for us and that was no good. And then finally, I remember picking up the phone. So as a former journalist, I would have had a lot of political contacts. 
and picking up the phone to a senior politician to say, look, I, I need help. This is the position I'm in. And I'm not trying to ask you to do something that shouldn't be done. I'm not mm. asking you to bend the rules. I'm asking you, will you please get me to the desk of somebody senior enough at social development to listen to what's happening here? So he said he would. And I always remember there was an NEC meeting on in um, Pretoria and he phoned me and he said, come out to the meeting. Now, that was like, you know, the hottest ticket in town. Wow. You know, the journalists don't even get in. I remember <laughs> as a former journalist driving past all of these colleagues I knew and they like, but there's Fiona Ford. But how is she? How is, how, what, <laughs> what, what are you, what's happening? Are you covering the <laughs> she's, story? <laughs> she's on the inside track. And I sat down and spoke to the, the person question. I won't name. And he said, OK, let me bring you over to the minister. The minister was about a little meaning. Oh, wow. And sat down in front of her and she said, uh, so? So I said, so. And I told her everything I'm telling you. And uh, she said, OK, picked up the phone and phoned somebody. And she said, uh, this woman called Fiona will be phoning you. And I phoned her. And because it was the minister that put through, they were all jumping through hoops. And it's a sad state of affairs, but yeah. it's what I had to do. And as I say, I wasn't asking anybody to bend the rules. I'd got to the stage where now the child needed security. Yeah. And this needed to be done. You're actually asking them to enforce the law as it stands. I'm asking them to do their job. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know, what it yeah. boils down to. So I finally, after a couple of sittings, managed to get through to them. And then there was still somebody who had questions. I managed bring, brought in a friend of mine to sit through a lot of these meetings with me. And it, I was just an oddity, I think. You know, this white, single, middle-aged woman. It just, if, if I was younger and married... It probably would have been fine, but there was just something that niggled. Mm. But we got there eventually and Moya's adoption came through and uh, we got a call one day to say go down to the family court tomorrow. And off we went, parked a car across the road, brought her in, sat in front of a lovely judge, stamped the file and we were out of there in all of 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Finally. So that that was that was it. That's how. And Moya was finally adopted two years after coming home. It took a full two years would I do it differently? I wouldn't because I was able to choose Moya. So I still believe going down that foster route is great. There's just a hell of a lot of hurdles. And especially if you just not, don't fit in to the mainstream, yeah. as as people felt we didn't. It's it's interesting you say this because years ago, I volunteered at the Door of Hope. Mm. And so when you talk about the regimented system, I completely get it because I used to go on a Saturday morning and it was very clear. I'd get there, I think, as they were giving the bottle uh, the kids would play for a bit, then we would move them, mm. give them uh, a meal at around 11, and then we'd start putting them to bed. And then I'd leave mm. around that time. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this must be what motherhood is like. You know, <laughs> you have a child, <laughs> they will follow the rules. They will eat at a particular point in time, play, you leave them, they eat again, play mm. a little bit, you put them to bed. It's not quite like that. Um, but I do think it's a necessary survival mechanism, mm. right? Mm. And at that point in time, I remember having a conversation with someone, it, it, not not anyone official. And they said to me, no, you'll never be able to adopt as a single mom. Mm. So to meet single mothers who were able to mm. adopt is mm. for me quite interesting. And I never mm. went and explored it in terms of the mm. law. I wasn't 100% ready to be a mother. It was just something I was wanting to do to mm. help. Yeah. So, OK. So, so talk to me about how you told your family and what your family's response was. Just before I get to that, I just want to say as well that why people view single women adopting as something 
out of the norm always surprises me. So here in South Africa, if you think of how many young women have children out of wedlock, I think it is probably as many, if not more, as women who have it, children in wedlock. And often women who get married have a child out of wedlock first. If I think in Europe, there are so many single women, some by choice, some by who just fell pregnant. Mm -hmm. We're gone past those days of, of stigma. And yet when it comes to adopting, if when it's by choice, so sometimes the single really, parenthood, if when you're the biological mother, may have been not planned. That's more accepted than when I'm actually planning wholeheartedly, you know, this process. <laughs> so it's a strange one for me, but it, it exists. And as I say, it was very much here. Um, I'm not, I don't think it would be the same in Ireland, but it was very much the South African mm. experience. How did I tell my family? Um, I, 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 I can't actually recall you know, I remember when I came back saying I was going to do it and it was very much because of that time with Lily that just kind of pushing me mm. to where to get to the point of actually doing it. And they were absolutely thrilled. And then they knew that I had met Moya and I had sent photos of this little Baba um, at the orphanage. And uh, I suppose we're at the generation then very much so with taking photos on your phone. So they're kind mm. of ad nauseum. But they delighted in receiving photos of her every day. And then I remember that call when she finally got her into my foster care, uh, phoning them to say, you know, this had happened. And it was just pure jubilation, but sadly, always by phone, you know, because Mm. they were there and I was here. But they were absolutely thrilled. And I remember bringing Moya home that Christmas. So she was nine months old and it was like, um, is it the long lost daughter of what coming home? I don't know. But they put on (laughs) such a, a show and a spread for Moya. I mean, everybody was dying to meet her. And she put on the biggest performance of her life for them. I mean, she smiled her way through <laughs> Christmas. And she had this thing with my mother. Every time she looked at mom, she would just beam um, and still loves mom to bits and vice versa. And it was just lovely with my family. It was completely like as if I'd just given birth. You know, it was the new niece or nephew in the family. Everybody doting on her. A family that's quite close and has always loved children. So he was just another addition to the family. And she was just happened to be stunningly beautiful. So like that when you've got this gorgeous <laughs> baby, uh, which she was and extended family. Um, everybody just wanted to meet Moya and, you know, sent her the most beautiful letters and cards, welcoming her into the family. And I'm talking my cousins and their children and really, really sweet things. Um, that has always been quite one of the most natural parts of it, actually, mm. was my family. And to this day, you know, she's, is, yeah. she's and she sees them. It's. In lockdown, she has really, really, really talked a lot about, I want to see my family, you know, and she knows we can't. We were supposed to have been there in June and we couldn't. And Christmases and the Christmases we've had there. And she's been to Ireland now every year since she was born. And she she knows that she knows family. She appreciates it and she actually wants more. Mm. And the fact that she does, I think, is testament to the fact of how much she is now one of the Fords. She's a Ford girl and that's that. How did you talk to her about how you came to be a unit, how you came to be mother and daughter, because she's very comfortable in it. She is. Now she is. So the discomfort initially came from me and I know friends who have adopted children. Um, So one in particular, one friend you and I have discussed Mm. and his son who's adopted when he became nine, 10 years of age, he started to develop real emotional problems around the fact that his biological mom had abandoned him and to the fact where it began to eat this child inside out and they had to start this search and 
a country in, in Central America looking for this woman who to this day they've never been able to find. And that always coloured me telling Moya she was adopted because I thought it's all down to the personality and I didn't, still didn't know how she would do it. How can I foretell how she's going to respond? And because I can't, how soon do I actually really need to tell her? Mm. So we would have lots of cases in Ireland where people find out they're adopted when they are 18, 19, you know, coming of age. Mm. Because you could do that because you're of the same skin colour. Moya and I were so physically different to look at that I knew it was going to come. And for me, my big moment was always going to be school. When somebody yeah. in the schoolyard would say, tell her. And I didn't want that to happen. And in Little Star, where you and I met, where our mm. girls were at Montessori, there was another little girl. There were three actually who were adopted. But one of the girls who was adopted knew from early on. And her mother had, from the day she came into her, her care as a baby, had told her. And then from her first words and what have you, she knew. And Laura used to often say to me, but some people do. And I said, but I can't. So my fear was not knowing how Moya would respond and my inability to explain to a child the concept of abandonment. Mm. So we're still not there in that part of her story. And I think she knows it. Um, I won't go there for a long time to come. So as I say, there were moments and one moment, you know, people would ask, you know, the skin colour and she was fine about that. And we used to talk about the skin colour and we talked about the skin colour for a couple of years without talking about the adoption. So we'd have different skin colour. I'm white, you're black. But I never mentioned adoption. Mm. And thankfully at her age group, they didn't. But I remember when Moya was going into big school and we, big school starting in the January, we were going home to Ireland the August before so I had decided, you know what, let me do it in Ireland. And I said it to the family. So Moya has two guide mothers who are my nieces and a guide father who's my sister's husband. Let me do it when we're home in Ireland, when the family are around mm. and checked in with everybody. You all OK with that? They said, absolutely. And I said, then we do it now with family and then we're all ready for when we go to school in January. And lo and behold, about three weeks before we went to Ireland, I had friends over one Friday afternoon and they were playing on the trampoline in the garden. And it was in the old house and we were looking out on the trampoline. And the next thing, Charlotte comes in and Sarah and I, so it was Charlotte and James, two friends were visiting and Sarah, their mom and I were sitting in the living room and Charlotte comes running in and she said, have you ever told him why she's adopted? And I said, <laughs> no, why Charlotte? I said, what did you say? And she kind of looked at her mother and she looked at me and she said, I said, let's play the adopted game. And I thought, oh, my oh, God. And we looked to the trampoline and Moya's heart looks like it has just traveled all the way down to her toes. And she's sitting slumped over mm. on the trampoline and thinking, oh, my God, here's the moment. Here we go. So Moya comes in and she does as dramatic as Moya does. And she's kind of pulling her feet behind her and her head is down at her chest. I said, Moya, are you OK? Did something happen? She's mm. like, they don't want to play my game. I was like, whew. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she adopted, had suggested the game. <laughs> they had suggested it. She wanted something else, but it had gone over her head. <laughs> I thought, great. So that was Friday. But for me, it was that moment where I knew I had to tell her. Yes. So I decided we would do it by watching Annie. Mm -hmm. So on Saturday night, we jumped into bed together and we watched Annie on Netflix. And we watched it uh, probably four fifths of the way through or three quarters of the way through or something like that. And then on Sunday morning, we finished it off. And then I ran a bath for the two of us and we got into the bath. And I, I had it all worked that mm. this is when I was going to tell her. And 
we were talking about the movie and she just loved Annie and she loved the music and she loved the dancing. And and then I said, you know, Moya, you're adopted. And we talked about adoption yes. in the story and that the children were being adopted and Annie was being adopted, etc. And then I said, you know that you're adopted. And she just looked at me and Moya was four at the time. And of all the questions in the world, <laughs> Moya's was, why didn't you tell me before now? Wow. And I said, you know, Moya, I really wanted to. But when you were a few months old, you weren't able to talk. Mm. And when you were one, you weren't able to say the word adoption. Mm. And when you were two, you were able to say the sounds, but you actually didn't really understand it. So I kind of left it until now. So it was morning, as I said, and it really got to her. And as you know, Moya is highly intelligent mm. and it was just simmering away in there all morning. And I tried to talk to her, I tried to draw her out and she would ask kind of questions to say, she never asked about her biological mum. Mm. She asked me what it meant. And I said to her, what it means is that in most instances, the children are born in the mum's tummy, but you were born in my heart. Mm. And that's what it means to be adopted. And I, I have that. that. I absolutely love it. And I had it from the orphanage, so the changing area in the orphanage where Moya lived when I met her. They had that very thing. It was a little poster over with this little area where they, the changing mat. And it said exactly that. Some children are born in their mo- mother's tummies. Other children are born in the mother's mm-hmm. hearts. So she accepted that. And again, my fear of abandonment, she didn't raise it. I couldn't go there. Um, thankfully, the issue of her biological mother didn't come into it. And that afternoon she asked to sleep and she had long stopped day naps. And then after she woke up, I told my family, you know, what had happened. And I said, I just want you all to phone her and get her out of this and just talk to her about it. So Kate and Eve, her guide mothers, phoned her and they said, can't believe Fiona finally told you. We've been Mm. waiting to tell you for so long. And she kind of responded, yeah, thanks. Yeah, okay." And I, I couldn't read Moya. Turns out that... The actually it it wasn't August, it was June because it was around the time of Father's Day. So the next morning she was at play school, going to play school. And I said, do you think Moya would like to tell Cindy about this? Cindy was her teacher and she really liked Cindy. And Moya looked at me and her, she had pure horror on her face. And she said, Mom, we can't tell anybody. I said, that's okay. And my heart broke. And I didn't know if she felt shame Mm. Or if she just felt she was different or what. But I also knew she was just raw and I couldn't go there. Mm. So when I went into school and dropped off and I said to Cindy, can I have a chat? And then I fell apart and was bawling my eyes out telling Cindy what had happened. And if she could just care for her that day, just keep a close eye. And Cindy had worked, as it turns out, she'd worked in orphanages before and was au fait and familiar with these kind of experiences. So she she gave me great assurance and off I went and she phoned me that evening. She said, we're making gifts for Father's Day. And she said, Moya said, we're had they're in a ring uh, sitting on the ground in a circle mm. and they all had to talk about their dads. And Moya talked about her dad. I said, it's fine. If that's what gets her over it this week, that's fine. There's no dad, mm. but that's fine. And then on the Thursday, Moya said to me, Mom, she said, I have something to tell you. I said, what? She said, I told a lie. And I said, mm. what was it? And she said, I told everybody at school that I had a dad and I don't. I said, oh, for God's sake, that's absolutely fine. I said, I probably would have done the same thing, Moya, (laughs) and let her kind of feel the ease of it, Mm. not the telling the fib, but just it's okay. If that's what you need to get through this story, absolutely fine. Mm. 
So as I say, she was a little bit raw and we went off to Ireland in the August and um, she told a friend of mine. So it turns out that one of my closest friends from high school had a baby the same time as Moya was born, but she didn't adopt. She had a bi- biological son and they've become very good friends. And, what you know, what are the odds when we're both at this stage of our lives yeah. that Laura had a, a boy? But Laura, Moya told Jack during this holiday when they were at the beach together, whatever it was. And she said, Jack, did you know I'm adopted? And he said, yeah, I knew all along. And she said, OK. And because of his response was so cool, she was like, you know, he doesn't yeah. see anything wrong with it. That's fine. He told his mum and then I got it out of Moya. And I said, no, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. She said, yeah, it's uh-huh. amazing. And then about a year later or one of the midterms later, I remember she was at a drama school. And this little one said to her when I went to fetch Moya and she was another little black girl, but she was kind of eyeing me when I'd go to fetch Moya every day. And I'd say, come Moya, or my, Moya would say, hi, mom. And I'd say, come. And this little one would kind of look and look as if to say, but how's this one working out? And then one day Moya brought me up to the little girl. She said, go on, say it to my mom. And the little girl nearly died. And she said, <laughs> no, I can't. And Moya said, you can, it's OK. Can, it's it's okay. OK. She's not going to say anything. And the little girl said, are you Moya's mum? I said, yeah, I am. And Moya said, you see, I told you <laughs> I'm adopted. You didn't believe me. You see. <laughs> and I thought that was the first time where it was just so cool in Moya's mind that mm. she was adopted. You took the shame out of it. I, not, you took the shame out of it, but also she, she was okay with it. She yes. was like, this is me. Yeah. I'm adopted. That's, that's and I've important. always said to her, you know, you're so special. And mm. she kind of wears that badge. And then the last one with her and she completely threw me on this one. So her first year at big school at St. Catherine's and she's a March baby. So she was one of the early birthdays and they have these birthday rings. And we were told, okay, you come in and you sit while the girls are in their birthday ring and they're singing songs. You bring the goodies, but they don't want you to Mm -hmm. do much else. And what we ask the parents to do when they sing and do whatever they want to do, then you tell the girls some stories about Moya. So maybe the first day she walked or her first words. I said, Grant, and she said, if you want to bring some photos, please do. So I pitched up at school a lovely selection of donuts, which is what Moya wanted. And they're all sitting in the ring. There are 24 kids in that class and the teacher sitting at the top and Moya was sitting up with Miss Peverett. And they're singing and Moya gets to choose the song and then she gets to choose who she wants to dance with, etc. And it's a lovely little gig. And then Miss Peverett said, OK, Fiona, do you want to tell us some things about Moya? I said, yeah, sure. And I've brought some photos as well. And Moya said, no, ma'am, tell them I'm adopted. Wow. And I looked at Jean, the teacher, Miss Peverett, and she nodded slowly. And I said, OK, so because Moya didn't prepare me, I didn't have my story straight <laughs> to explain to little girls who's not my own what adoption means. And I can't remember what I said. All I remember is the sea of faces looking up and half of them are thinking, but that makes no sense. I actually can't remember what I said (laughs) because it was just, I was taken so by surprise. But for me, it was just so canny the way Moya did it. Because as Mm. I say, she's a March baby. So she was just, this was her second month into, you know, they'd started in mid-January. She's the 17th of March. She was two months into it. This was a new group of friends, a new circle. She needed them to know but she obviously didn't know how. Mm. So whether she had it up her sleeve, she was going to do it on this particular day or she just decided, hey, this is a good time. But this is how she did it. And That's great. I did it for her. Mm. And it's, you know, since then, the stories are just to get easier all the time. And it's Moya's thing. You know, I'm adopted. And the same thing as she says, I've got dreadlocks and I've got brown eyes or whatever it is. It's just part of who she is now. And it's lovely. 
we will get to the stage of the biological mother um, at some stage. When it's age appropriate. When, when it's, it's age right. appropriate. She told me recently that one of the girls at school had said to her, I'm really sorry for you, Moya, that you didn't get to meet your real mum. And that broke my heart. And this only happened a few weeks ago. And it was Mungiwa who said it. And I said to Moya, but why did she say that? And then I thought I need to be careful what I'm saying here as well. And she said, it's OK, mum. She said, I told her you're my real mum. Mm. Good for you. But th- th- that's, that's our next stage. Yeah. But we're very comfortable in the phase we're in. And let's see where it takes us from here. And it's an education process for the kids around her as well, mm. right? Because... Mm. I don't think this came from a point of malice. It was probably this child has been processing and wondering what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I want to bring this to a close. What would you advise someone listening right now and is thinking, I'd love to adopt? What would you look back on and say, you know what, be aware of this? Or what words of wisdom would you share with them? I think it's probably a little bit like, you know, these books that you can get on motherhood. I think I have three. I've never opened them because it's not a textbook affair. So Mm. I think in my story, in Moya's story, ours is a South African story. And I think you just need to be very hardened in terms of dealing with the administration. If you're in a category like ours where we didn't quite fit the mold, you know, be prepared. Um, If you're going to kind of rock up and you are looking the part for them. So it's a a mom and a dad, which they seem to want. Mm. Uh, you're probably it's probably going to be a lot easier. And again, a single mum might come along tomorrow and find a civil servant who would treat her much differently than I was treated. Mm. So it was kind of the luck of the draw. It doesn't colour for a moment the adoption for me. I mean, we went through this process and it was absolutely awful for us. But you would do it again for Moya? Absolutely, because that's only a part of the adoption. That's only a small part of the story. The big part is Moya. And for me, it has just been gorgeous watching a relationship grow between us. I firmly, firmly believe we were meant to be. When I look at our personality types, there's no other person that I would much prefer to have as a daughter than Moya. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's that spark. She's that feisty. She you knows one of the dads recently called her a firecracker. Yes, yeah, she absolutely is. She is. Whether he meant it as a compliment <laughs> or not, I took it as a compliment. We live together under the same roof, just her and I. There's nobody else. And she cracks me up. She gets my sense of humour. She gets me. I get her. It's unusual. Like sometimes you think, what would happen if I didn't like her? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been awful? You know, and that's where I really happen. think. Um, you would just love her. You know, she's, we, we just, we get on so well. She does my head in um, and that's the personality and I do hers. <laughs> and we're very well able to tell each other that. So that's the bigger part of adoption. And I look forward to, like she was saying to me recently, um, she had she, she had bad B.O. and mm. I could not believe this. She walked by me one day and she nearly knocked me with the stench. And I thought, oh, my God, my little girl at seven is sweating. Mm. And I phoned the doctor and I said, Dr. Fee, is this normal? <laughs> you know, don't tell me I'm going to have a child with early puberty. I said, not at all. You know, she's just sweating. It's OK. Calm down. <laughs> I said, can I use deodorant? She said, of course you can. And just up the showers, so which we did. But when. I started to spray deodorant on her. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and she was going out with her au pair that day. I said, Tasha's coming in a little while. I said, okay, she said, can I wear a bra as well? I said, Moya, please, <laughs> <No. you know? laughs> come back. <laughs> um, but she's, I, I so look forward to meeting Moya when she's older mm. and seeing what she'll become. And I just really hope that everything I'm putting into her now, I think it's a black girl and woman growing up. She's always going to have, she's always going to be on the back foot mm. because of race. 
I just hope I've prepared her well enough to stand against that other back foot, which is just being adopted yes. and being of, you know, a mixed race family wherever life will take us. Uh, so I would just say to anybody listening, just if that's what you want to do. And I guess I would I, I don't I would hate to see adoption as different to other families. You know, if, if it's you want to adopt a child, you want to have a child, just do it. Mm. Um, if you think you can't, that's also fine, too. Mm. You know, maybe fostering is for some people where it, it's occasional mm. or it's temporary or whatever it is. Um, but it is probably one of the best relationships I've ever had. Probably. No, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I've seen the two of you. You're mm. absolutely beautiful together. Thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you for sharing your journey and just told pleasure. You. And I look forward to one day having a session with you and Moya as a teenager. Yeah. That will be interesting. I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I look old and ragged by then. She'll have put me through the mill. But <laughs> <laughs> one last thing, if I may, before yeah. we go. One thing that Moya has always started to say to me is actually that when she grows up, she wants to adopt. So wow. she's got her children named. She's having quite a few. Um, she doesn't talk about a partner, but she will always, and anybody who cares to listen to her, you know, when I grow up, I'm adopting. I'm not having my own children. I'm adopting them. And that to me, just one more affirmation that, that she's, she's cool with it. Yeah, she's OK. That's good. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.